It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Shares for beginners. If you say, here's an elephant and a knife and fork to eat it with, which effectively is the world of professional trading, it's too overwhelming for people. Take it step by step, and as your skill goes, you move on to the next step. Don't try and jump five ahead because when you do that, the whole foundations are a bit shaky and it does come crumbling down, and you'll probably give it away, only to probably give away one of the best businesses in the world simply because it wasn't the market, it wasn't your broker, it was you and the process that you took to get there, and you've got to own that. G'day, and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. My guest today has an impressive track record. He's a highly regarded keynote speaker who's spoken alongside some of the world's leading names, including Robert Kiyosaki, Anthony Robbins, Sir Richard Branson, and Tony Blair. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Phil. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Andrew Baxter is one of Australia's leading financial educators, 27 years in markets as a pro trader, and has taught thousands of investors. Andrew, tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from and how you first started getting involved in finance and markets. Yeah, I guess I got hooked on this at a pretty early age, Phil. I, I grew up in the UK. I uh, grew up in a pretty poor working class family. Uh, my dad worked in a car factory. My mum was a cleaner. And you know, it was a poor household, very happy, but poor. And I had a part-time job after school, slave labor or uh, university of life, as it were, saved up some money. And uh, at school, we'd been talking about how to invest in shares. So I thought, I'll give it a go. And uh, so I had about 500 pounds saved up and I invested literally a couple of weeks before the 87 crash. So I ended up losing all of my cash. So it was a pretty hard, pretty brutal first uh, experience dipping a toe in the world of investing. And uh, I'm actually very grateful. It's funny when you look back in life, at the various experiences you have. And I'm grateful that my first investment was that because I think subsequently for the last 27 years, risk management has been something that's really been front and center for me as a trader. How did you lose all your money? Did you just not diversify? Did you only go in a couple of shares at the time? Well, if we go back to back in the good old days of monochrome green monitors and share prices being published in the newspaper, yeah, that was a really, really severe crash, Black Monday in the UK. And yeah, and it really tore the guts out of everything and being unskilled and not knowing what to do. I guess like most people that are unskilled and not knowing what to do, I cashed out at the bottom of the market, licking my wounds. And that's really where I guess things went wrong. And it was a turning point for me. I've always been a voracious reader, and you'll see from the books behind, I, you know, I still am. And I put in a lot of work to learn more about how markets actually really work, saved up some more money, and I went around again. And, and this time, my second trade, I made about 1,100% on that, had about five grand invested in it. I had some more money saved up. And two of the biggest lessons I think I took out of that, number one, it was the first time in my life I'd ever seen really money work for me. I'd seen my parents exchange their time for dollars. I was well and truly on that treadmill after school and, and in school holidays exchanging my time for dollars. And this was really a candle that was lit that money can actually work for you if you know what you're doing. And I guess also to that point, you know, the money I made from that trade actually paid for me to go to university. So I was the first person in my family to go to uni. And uh, you know, that opens a lot of doors, as we all know. 
Mm, education as well. And I think that's one of the lessons as well. I guess it was a hard lesson because I believe that the 87 crash was pretty short and sharp and markets recovered reasonably quickly. Would it have been the case if you had held your money in the market at the time that you wouldn't have lost quite so much? That may well have been the case where there was some short-term gratification and I could have enjoyed that recovery. Of course, that's the benefit of hindsight, which is always correct. I think having that experience arguably was the best thing. It was the best investment I could have made in my actual financial education because, you know, that was 500 pounds, which was everything I had at the time. A lot of money at the time. Yeah. And now I work with tens of millions of pounds. And if I hadn't have learned that life lesson, then, you know, the risk on the table would be exponentially higher, I suppose. So I think you've always got to look for the positive learning experience. It's either a profit uh, spelt with an F or a profit with a PH. Either way, it's a learning point, that's for sure. Profit spelt with an F. What's that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what we help people do, cranking out of the market, that's for sure. So that was that. Finished uni and I started my career in finance. I was hooked after my my first profitable investment and I started working in the City of London, worked for a couple of pretty large financial institutions where I was a trader and all of a sudden sort of growing up in a poor working class town where you're sort of rubbing shoulders with people that are making you know, literally millions and millions of pounds a year was quite an eye-opener. You know, it's also probably one of the most Darwinian environments to learn your craft. There's no probationary period. Let's see how you go. You either have it or you don't, and you're either employed or you're fired. And it's really as simple as that. So it's a very, very steep learning curve. And again, you know, it's funny how the sort of thread of life can go through. And again, I'm eternally grateful for the opportunity I had to a start my career there and the lessons I learned. So you're a fellow podcaster, and uh, I tuned into a recent episode, and I thought we might discuss um, what you discussed on this episode, which was the five myths of financial markets. So let's go through them. The first is cash. Cash isn't king, according to yourself. Yeah, look, it's a widely held misbelief, and I think everyone needs to hold some level of cash. We've all got bills. We need that sort of emergency fund plus some, especially given today's cost of living rise. But at the same time, you know, that cost of living rise is a poison chalice. If you're holding cash, the misbelief that people have is that it's safe. And you know, relative to being exposed to the uncertainty of the stock market or the property market or bonds or managed funds for that matter, it probably does seem that way. But what people fail to realize when they're holding cash is that there's a silent hidden risk that no one really takes the time to point out. And that's why, you know, podcasts like ours, podcasts like yours, where financial literacy is being promoted is key. Now, what I mean by the risk on that, let's say you're earning 0.2% on your money. And right now in Australia, we're looking at a cost of living rise of yeah, around about 5% officially. I think anybody that's ever been to a supermarket, petrol station, picked up an electricity bill, paid for their private health care, know that it's it's well beyond 5%. But let's say it is 5%. Yeah, every 100 bucks you've got held in savings at the bank, you are guaranteed to lose 5% a year based on a cost of living rise. How can that be described as a safe investment when there is zero upside and you are absolutely guaranteed that you will be 5% worse off next year? Well, that uh, leads into the next point that you want to make, and that's that the stock market is risky. People sort of say, well, okay, I might be losing money in cash, but not quite as fast as I can lose it in the stock market. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, when we talk about the stock market, and certainly based on my journey, uh, literally from trade one, it is a jungle. You have to know what you're doing. You cannot possibly expect to play on the world stage. And let's face it, if you're investing in the stock market, it is the world stage because there are people that are participating in that that are the best in the world at what they do and they're remunerated accordingly. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get handed some pain fairly quickly. And again, so many investors go in 
perhaps with a misguided view that if they buy and hold something for the long term, it's all right, we'll ride out the turmoil. Uh, that sort of mindset sadly doesn't work, not just in the current market, but probably hasn't for the last four or five years for investors. And so there's a requirement like anything, if you're going to play a game, know the rules of that game. Otherwise, you're going to have a really torrid time. I think that's really important to understand, isn't it? That uh, it's like learning a language. People sort of approach the markets. They've heard someone's made some money out of the markets, one of their mates, one of their friends, someone someone at the pub. But uh, there's some hard lessons there and it's like learning a language. It's not going to happen overnight, is it? Absolutely not. And again, you know, like learning a language, you know, the flip side is learning a language from a textbook is incredibly painful. You're going to sit in a piazza in Italy, you're going to pick it up by osmosis fairly quickly. And in some regards, that's really how the stock market can work too. You've got to be in it to learn. It's, it's like learning to swim. You've got to get in the pool. You can't describe how water feels. You've got to get wet and see what it feels like to get a mouthful of it and everything that goes alongside that. But at the same time, it's probably not a great idea to hurl yourself in at the deep end, start at the shallow end, have a paddle, see what it feels like. And then, you know, as your skill set grows and your confidence and understanding grows, then, then in a very structured way, move down the pool. And keep learning, no matter what. Keep learning. Mm. Happens every day, 27 years in and still learning things, that's for sure. Yeah. Is there anything recently that you've learned that you wanted to share? With all your experience, is there something that um, you've just learned recently? Yeah, I think if we take the turmoil and inflation pressures that we're seeing around the world, not just here in Australia, you know, we do a fair bit of work in the US, it's really marked over there. Normally during a time of inflation, you know, you typically see gold perform very well. And as an economist, that's something I was taught at university quite some time ago. And in this cycle, that relationship appears to be broken down. And I think that the part of the reason for it, it's not exclusively the reason, but part of the reason for it, I think has been the emergence of crypto investing, particularly where you do have a non-correlated asset and it's given people an alternate to look at. And, you know, crypto, I'm not an advocate for it by any stretch of the imagination, but it's commanded a really massive market share, not just with young people that are looking to experiment, but we're, you know, seeing some fairly chunky allocations out of self-managed super now into that space. So, and I think to an extent, you know, there's been a little bit of a breakdown of that relationship. It's also to do with the weakness in the US dollar, but, you know, crypto, I think, has certainly sort of cut the grass of gold as that go-to safe haven asset, although, you know, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about crypto being a safe haven when we look at the more recent performance, you know. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned super there because that's the next myth we're going to talk about is that the wealthy don't use super. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And we've published this in various adverts and you usually get your fair share of trolls uh, going on that, you know, as you say, the wealthy don't need super. The wealthy aren't using super to have a pension. Let's get that straight. They've got multiple other streams of assets that pay very good income that they don't need super for that. A lot of people overlook, particularly with self-managed super, the virtues that it brings to the table, at least currently under legislation, tax-wise, asset protection-wise, but also, you know, it's got the potential to be an absolutely magnificent intergenerational asset protection vehicle. And there are very few things that are tax effective in that space. And the wealthy most definitely use super and they use it particularly for that. Yeah, and the cynics out there will go, oh, it's just a way of avoiding paying tax. There's really no way to avoid paying tax because your super is audited every year. The ATO are all over it and you're going to pay your 15%. Okay, it might be less than what you might pay outside, but you will be paying tax. So again, yeah, the wealthy do use super and they do pay tax. And why is it important then for a beginner investor to look at their super. I mean, a lot of people just think, okay, they don't even think about it. It's taken out of their salary every fortnight, month or whatever. Why is it important to consider it even if you're not wealthy? 
it's something that can be a stalwart for you down the line. And people look at their financial circumstances and I say, look, I'm not wealthy. Look, I was born in a working class family and we were poor, but it doesn't mean to say that's where you stay. And so I think, you know, taking the time to be, to be educated as to how you can get your money working as effectively for you as you can is a crucial development stage in a conversation to have with yourself, irrespective of your current financial circumstance. And I really emphasize that current financial circumstance because Yet there are a lot of people out there, Phil, that are doing it very, very tough right now. It's an expensive cost of living. There's been incredible amounts of trauma, whether that be bushfires, droughts, COVID, war in the world, and everything else that goes alongside that. So there's been massive amounts of uncertainty, which has left people feeling very stressed and very, very uneasy. But whatever your circumstances are right now, that doesn't have to be your life story. If you get yourself squared away, and take the opportunity to to not dream because dreams are just dreams, but set some goals and priorities for yourself. Because I suppose a goal is just a dream with a deadline. They're similar but different. And say, look, if making more money or having a better quality of financial life is is something that's important to you, start allocating some time to learn. Podcasts like this, perfect place to start because it's going to give you a little bit of a grounding. It's free and you're going to get a variety of perspectives and start getting yourself educated as to what opportunities are there. And you may not have much in super right now, but it doesn't have to be that way. We've got you know changes in legislation July 1 this year where more money is going to be put into super by your employer. And so that money can grow. But Take more of an interest in it, the whole passive, let's just whack it in an industry super and hope it goes up. Yeah, I think industry super in particular has been shown to be not the place that investors probably think it was, but they've done very well with their marketing. And I'm sure, you know, we might open ourselves up to some criticism there, but the facts speak for themselves when you either look at the performance or some of the hidden fees and some of the charges that they've slugged their members with recently to cover any litigation they might be in for wrongdoing down the line. It's not the champion of the people, it's a business. So learning how to manage it yourself, whether that be through self-managed super or choosing a retail super that you can put your money in but have some control, it's your future. Have control of it. Many people will come in thinking that they want dividends. They think dividend stocks are going to be safe and providing an income. But you believe it's a myth that dividends and chasing dividends is the best way to invest? Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. And I think there's a distinction to draw in there. And that is that companies that typically pay dividends have good earnings and they're good quality businesses. We like those kind of companies. The area that perhaps we would sort of approach those companies differently from is that a dividend might be paid twice a year. And again, let's be quite direct on this. When a company pays a dividend, and particularly if it's what we call in Australia, fully franked. It's a uniquely Australian situation where the tax is paid on that. That's an incredibly important income flow for people, particularly in in self-managed super, it's a hugely important part of the game. If you have a dividend reinvestment plan, again, that's a, a very, very useful way to invest. However, from an income perspective, number one, it's very vulnerable to the company you know, changing its policy. And we saw that during COVID where you know, multiple companies, Harvey Norman is one example, the banks and other scaled back their dividends, didn't pay them on given the uncertainty of the economy. And that was no question about it, the right decision to make at that time. If your income is solely dependent on that, somebody else has decided that, sorry, you're not getting paid this year, uh, which is probably not the sort of news that you want to receive. So on one instance, there's a level of vulnerability for your cash flow, but perhaps the one that people don't necessarily identify with is that when a company pays a dividend, let's say it's paying out a billion dollars in dividend, that money is returned to the shareholders, which means it's no longer an asset of the company. The value of the company drops by a billion dollars. So Whilst you've received your income, 
it's actually come from your capital account because invariably the share price will drop by a commensurate amount. So you've moved the money from your left pocket to your right pocket. You're not better off. You've just moved it from capital to income and possibly open yourself up to paying tax on it now. So in that regard, it's not the blind strategy of just buy, hold, and hold for a dividend. And I think there are far better ways in the stock market to be able to generate far more regular and more controlled levels of income if income is your goal. The underlying companies that pay dividend, we typically like because they're good businesses. Okay, so the last of the myths is give your money to the pros. A lot of people think, oh, well, there's uh, very highly trained people in the markets and they've got lots of experience and they've got very glossy brochures and lovely websites. Why shouldn't we give them the money? <laughs> How long do we have left on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> just give us your, your just quick answer, your prices on this one. I think I, I know where you're going to be going with this, but uh, yeah. Well, let's look at benchmarking first of all. So if we take the ASX 200 as a benchmark, according to CanStar, 81% or just under 81% of fund managers in active funds underperform the ASX over a five-year period. So if you're giving your money to a fund manager, unless you happen to pick the one in five that gets to outperform, you are pretty much sentenced to underperforming the market. In addition to that, you're going to be paying, and this is, I guess, the whole gig for a funds management business, and I've worked in them and I've I've run a hedge fund myself in my past. It's all about assets under management, that 2% annual management fee, rain, hail or shine, that's coming in the door. So it doesn't matter if the funds or performance is up or down the money keeps coming in. And so that level of care, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that a fund manager doesn't have a a duty of care to its investors. They're going to try their, their bit within the mandate that they have. But they're not going to take the same level of care over your money that you would because it's your cash. You've worked hard. You've made the sacrifice. You know what was involved with earning it and then saving whatever was left after the bills and then making the, the decision to invest it. So you know, giving it to the pros is something that people have relied on for a long time. And the Royal Commission's also shown that to be a very flawed model too. I mean, there are a million other reasons we could give you, but underperformance and I guess your vested interest in your money should be higher than anybody's would be the two overarching points. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, then a listener's decided to grab the bull by the horn, start uh, trying to manage their money a little bit better and their investments a little bit better. What would you suggest in terms of managing risk? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. And, and particularly given where my journey started. These days, you know, financial instruments have evolved quite considerably. And I'm a huge advocate for using exchange traded funds uh, for investors, particularly when they're new. You've got the ability to have a thoroughly diversified portfolio in one transaction without lots of fees. And so from a purely diversification perspective, especially if you're starting small, which you should be, that's probably a good place to kick off as a step one. Step two is from a risk management perspective, yeah, I'm a huge advocate for using stop losses. If the trade is not doing what you think it should be doing, hit the exit button, keep your powder dry. You can always buy in. Transaction fees are so low now, it's not prohibitive to be able to buy and sell anymore. And take your time and look to get back in when the dust settles. And I'm not suggesting that you're in and out every day and trying to day trade the market. And, you know, without 
sort of putting a date stamp on when we're recording this, yeah, we've seen quite a significant sell down over the last four or so months. So if you bought in at the top of that sell down, you know, you're now looking at 15, 20% drop if you're invested in US equities. And that's pretty painful. Whereas if you had a level of risk management and said, look, if it moves down by more than X or, or below what we in the industry call a support level, time to hit the exit button and pack up the bat and ball and come back later on when things have, have died down. Those two things I think set people up in a good way to get started. And I'm very minded. Some of the advice I got on the London trading floor, I think it's my first or second day, one of the old timers, about 35, that's an old timer in that industry, I guess, uh, said to me, always remember this, son, all big losses used to be small ones. It's just you that a lot of get out of control. And that advice has stuck with me over the years. So you know, don't turn a small loss into a big one. If it's going wrong, hit the exit button. You can always come back again. So setting a stop loss, how would you suggest people look at that? Is it a percentage term or what people feel comfortable with? I mean, it's a very difficult thing if you've got uh, no one guiding you. It is. And from a definition point of view, a stop loss is a level that you set before you get into the trade. That's also quite important you know, because there's no emotion involved pre-trade. Once you're invested, I guess you're, you're in the heat of the game. That if it hits a certain predetermined level, that's where you're getting out. And I like my clients to have those stop losses actually running in the market live so that they don't get time to think about moving them around. It's set in stone and it's there. So where do you put it? And you're quite right. Without guidance, it is quite hard because if your stop loss is too tight, you're going to get incredibly frustrated that it ticked down and then pushed higher and you should have still been in it. If it's too loose, you kind of have to wear and absorb the pain of it moving further away from you than perhaps you'd want to. So yeah, there is an art form and and we spend a lot of time teaching clients around this. I think looking for support levels in the market, those logical levels, typically round dollar amounts and giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room underneath is probably a good start. I'm not an advocate particularly for fixed percentages, but they're better than nothing. So yeah, rather like Let's say you put, say, 5 or 7% on it, given the market's a bit more volatile at the minute, say 7%. If it drops below 7%, I'm out. And yes, you're down 7%, but better to be down 7 than 20. Or 30, or 40. <laughs> or 50, or it keeps going. Which we're seeing a lot of at the moment, yeah. Well, this leads into an action plan. Why do you need an action plan? And I suppose stop losses are just a small part of any action plan. Yeah, look, I'm a huge believer in in planning, nothing in life happens by accident. It's a combination of skill and focus and deliberate intention. And an action plan starts to do exactly that. And sadly, for a lot of people, when they approach the market, it is confronting because maybe they set up an online trading account, put some cash in it, and lo and behold, here are all these shares that you can invest in. And typically, if you're brand new looking at a chart, it probably looks like a bunch of squiggly lines. And uh, you know, trying to make sense of that can be quite challenging. So Setting your standard to say, well, number one, what is my goal here? And I know that sounds like a really dumb question to ask. You know, your goal is probably to make money. But there are lots and lots of different types of way of making money. Is it income? Is it a moderate growth strategy? Is it more speculative? Are you someone that's bearish the market and you're looking to profit from a fall? And firstly, working out what your intention is pretty important. And yes, we know it's to make money, but it's a question of how are you going to do that? Secondly, yeah, what time do you realistically have to dedicate to your new hobby, which you want to move from being a hobby? You know, hobbies cost money, businesses make money, and you want to make that transition fairly quickly. So what sort of time are you setting yourself out for to do this? And again, you've got to be realistic. I have five kids, young kids. My eldest is seven. And so if I said to my wife, I'm going to start day trading, which I've done in my career in the past, so don't expect to see me between 10 and 4, 
it's not wholly conducive to my family life. And quite frankly, I've got no interest in doing that anyway. Day trading, you know, 98% of day traders lose money. So it's not the best business to be in unless you're pretty good. So if you've got, say, let's take an hour a week, which I think is something most people could probably find. What are you going to do within that hour a week? And it may be a question of browsing through some charts, maybe listening to some podcasts through the week in that passive time, maybe on the commute to work or something. And during that hour of analysis and decision-making, set your standout for the week. And then over the course of each day, five minutes a day, just to have a quick look at the market to see what it's doing. Maybe mid-morning is probably, you know, over your morning coffee is probably a good time. You can see how it's opened. You can see where it's at. And now what we've done is worked out what our overall intention is. We've created a little bit of time and some micro-commitments towards getting started. Next thing is to get your account funded. There's no point in having a gun with no bullets. And then take the plunge, small slow and steady, see how it feels because no one's going to describe that feeling to you of what it actually feels like to have real money in the market until you've done it. It sounds like you want people to take incremental steps, just little small steps at any time, not just jumping in boots and all. Yeah, if you jump in boots and all, invariably, unless you happen to be quite fortunate or lucky, you're going to get your backside handed to you. Now, yeah, if you look at the way the markets have behaved over the last, say, two years, you know, through sort of 2020, 2021, you could buy almost anything and it went up in value. And, and very sadly, you know, a lot of people got involved with the market, which is great, but their confidence was so far past where their core skills and competence are. And this year, we've seen a much choppier market. A lot of those gains have been given back. And those people that had the fortitude to start one, two years ago are starting to have a massive wavering in confidence. And they've also you know, decimated their account to a large extent. And it's because that they've started a business without really building a foundation properly. They just jumped in, build these incremental steps. And these sort of micro commitments, Phil, anyone can do this. But if you if you say, here's an elephant and a knife and fork to eat it with, which effectively is the world of professional trading, it's too overwhelming for people. Take it step by step. And as your skill goes, you move on to the next step. Don't try and jump five ahead because when you do that, the whole foundation's a bit shaky and it does come crumbling down and you'll probably give it away only to probably given away one of the best businesses in the world simply because it wasn't the market, it wasn't your broker, it was you and the process that you took to get there and you've got to own that. Yeah, it's really important to own what you're doing, isn't it? No one else is going to look after your money like you do. Not at all. Okay, Andrew, so let's have a chat about your podcast and also Australian investment education. If uh, listeners want to come and see you, what would they be expecting from you? We offer a number of pathways and I think the podcast, rather like today, is such a brilliant innovation. There are squillions of them out there. Finding the good ones obviously becomes a little bit more challenging. What our goal was each week was to provide a level of currency of what's going on, not just in markets, but in terms of personal development and the steps that you could be taking as an investor. Because for a lot of people, you know, it is quite overwhelming making the decision to manage your own money. And so by being able to chunk it down into theme pieces. What's the psychology required? What are the hard tools in terms of a broking account? What sort of education? What books would you look at? What's the impact of an interest rate rise on the stock market? Why did the election happen the way it did? And what does that mean? All of those sorts of things are pivotal questions that they're kind of the background to feeling more and more comfortable with something. And you can imagine a painter just painting out the background that ultimately gives the picture some depth. So a very, very important part is a podcast. And again, being weekly, it's there. It's very easy to digest. A meat and potatoes business, our education business, Australian investment education is really our, our flagship. And you know, for 20 years now, we've been at the Vanguard with that operation. And our purpose is really simple, and it's to help everyday people. 
you know, it's not about the big end of town. It's about people that are serious about wanting to have a different future. It's about really helping them create tomorrow's wealth today. The actions we take today determine where our future is. But it's so hard. It's so easy to procrastinate. It's so easy to put off and next year I'll set a New Year's resolution to do this and it never happens. So we provide a really practical step-by-step, easy-to-learn, jargon-free, supported education and advisory environment, an ecosystem, if you will, uh, that can let people come in the door with literally zero knowledge and within a fairly short period of time, a matter of three months or so, be up and running and feeling very, very confident with what they're doing in markets. By following a process now, we've had about 50,000 people go through that channel now and it's a very well-trodden path. It's kind of like a minefield. If you're going to cross it, walk in the footsteps of the people that have been there. And I guess the biggest challenge, there are a number of people out there that know how to make great money trading. The skill set is in being able to articulate, being able to explain that in a way that people can not only understand but build confidence to actually do because more than anything, markets are not a spectator sport. You've got to take that action step. You've got to get involved and you've got to take action if you want to make money. And so we provide all of the links in the chain to help people there. What are some of the misconceptions that uh, people coming to you often have? I think probably the biggest one, and this can be a massive roadblock or it can be a real tailwind depending on the circumstance of the person, In my experience, money only flows to people that are open and that they're teachable. And when we've had people come in that perhaps have, in their opinion, got a reasonable level of knowledge, it's things that they know, but just because they know them doesn't mean to say that they're correct. And sometimes having to unpack and unlearn some of those bad habits that have become quite ingrained. You know, I'm a terrible golfer, and if a pro looked at my swing, I think for the first 20 lessons, they'd probably be unpacking the, the 30 years of incredibly bad habits that I've built up in there. Whereas if I were somebody that was brand new with no preconceived idea, I'd be much easier to teach because there's no pushback and defense of a previous belief that may have been wrong. So as an observation, and I've seen that across literally tens of thousands of people now. That's a big one. So I'd invite people to be open. The approach to markets, particularly that we take, is probably quite different to what you may have looked at in the past. And I guess the reason people come to us is because what they've done in the past hasn't worked. So you've kind of got to leave that baggage at the door and be open to a different outcome. So that is a big challenge for a lot of people. And I can't let you go without asking all of the speakers that you've worked alongside of, what's one of the the main lessons you've learned from them? Oh, gee whiz, they've all been quite different. Um, If I were to give you, say, four real short snapshots, Mark Boris was an interesting one. Talks about entrepreneurism and having an exit strategy on your business before you start it. We take that into the trading space. So having an exit strategy on your trade before you get in is, again, something that most investors don't do. They get in and then once they're in, they want to work out what they're going to do as opposed to having a a defined strategy. I think uh, Tony Robbins, you know, be absolutely resolute in your goal, be concrete, be so firm on what that goal is, but be extremely flexible on the way to get there. Richard Branson, just be authentic in terms of what you are, enjoy what it is, see your shortcomings and faults and leverage off your strengths, no question about that. Here's a good one for you, Mike Tyson, everyone's got a game plan until they get punched in the face. And that's a great one for trading because you you might have a plan until the market decides otherwise, just like I did way back in 1987. I wasn't buying my Rolls Royce that day. I was uh, handed my backside on a silver platter. So, yeah, we've all got a plan until there's a setback. And that's why getting educated in terms of mechanics, but also in terms of your psychology and mindset are two absolutely crucial, very different paths in the journey. They're intertwined and they're as important as each other. So it's not just about learning about how to analyze. It's about learning how to manage you. And where can listeners find out more? 
hit us up on our socials, Australian Investment Education. You'll find us across uh, just about every social platform there is on the planet. So you'll find us on Twitter. You'll find us on Instagram, Facebook, particularly. Hit us up on our website, australianinvestmenteducation.com.au. Take a look at what we do there. And, of course, our Money and Investing podcast. So if you follow podcasts, whether it's on Spotify or the Apple iTunes, wherever it might be, we're there and we'd love to connect and uh, share some of our wisdom with you and maybe help you along that pathway. Fantastic. And we'll put all those uh, links in the show notes as well. Andrew Baxter, thank you very much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure, Phil, anytime. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.